So we're sitting here and so excited to share with you and introduce you to January Riggin. She is the founder of Soap to Hope and executive director. Um, you're going to learn more about this organization she has created. It's pretty impactful. Um, but today we're going to dive into a little bit heavier of a topic. We're going to talk about addiction, human trafficking, um, really just human trafficking and how it's affected her life and her story of how she has overcome some unbelievable obstacles. Uh, Pieces of a Woman is all about how our past kind of shape us into the women we are today, or at least that's one of the pieces that we try to focus on. And so January is sharing some pretty vulnerable points of her life. And, you know, we sat through the interview kind of thinking that we had an idea of what we were going to be talking about. We knew she was going to share her story, but I don't know that we really had any idea what that story was going to look like. And um, you could not sit there without having tears. Yeah, finding Um, back the tears. And also feeling this overwhelming sense of inspiration because... She's overcome so much. Uh, I had so much anxiety listening to the different um, topics that she talks about because it was overwhelming to hear that this is happening right here in Salt Lake. Yeah. Yeah, and identifying, you know, I think people have a version of what they think human trafficking is or sex trafficking is, and she dives into the differences. The differences, and it's not maybe what we think it is. Well, and, and I think that part was what was so difficult for me to process was what she describes as trafficking and looking back and going, oh, I wonder, you know, if, if I looked at that differently in um, stories that I had heard or different experiences that I have come across. And so this episode is heavy, but it has um, a lot of inspiring moments. I think that what January has done with her life and where she is today, raising her daughter, um, but also the work that she's doing. Um, she says she's basically boots on the ground, and she truly is. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she's making a difference. And we hope that our audience um, is inspired by her story, that you take away um, a message of being more aware of your family dynamic, being more aware of your neighborhood and just your community, making sure you're asking the right questions so that we can um, be the voice for those that are, you know, maybe subject to this. And also, um, maybe you'll, you know, find some inspiration and you can go support January and her foundation, Soap to Hope. Well, I want to say also with that is being more aware is one thing, but also I think having more compassion when you're looking at people that are on the streets. There's a story behind why they're where they are, and we learned one big thing today is a lot of people just didn't ask the right questions. And I think for our community, for our listeners... I hope this is a little eye-opening of how we can be better humans in our own community and ask better questions and look at things maybe with take our blinders off and be more open to see what might be really happening. Well said. I agree. We hope you enjoy we hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for listening. 
Hi, I'm Deanna Robbins. And I'm Christy North. Welcome to Pieces of a Woman podcast, where we explore all the pieces that make up a woman, mind, body, and soul. We are two everyday women who have survived, thrived, been defeated, humbled, and spent our lives committed to embracing all complexities of being a woman. This podcast is dedicated to all women, all women searching for real conversations. We are going to be exploring everything from sexuality, aging, menopause, physical and mental health, spirituality, marriage, divorce, and blended families. Everything is on the table, except politics. Every episode will be committed to engaging conversations that will include interviews with influential women, leaders, healers, authors, and good friends. Thank you for taking this journey with us. Let's go back. Let's go back and start with your childhood. So, obviously I'm January. <laughs> and thank you ladies for having me on. Um, I, I re- like, sometimes it's hard to go back there, right? Like, it's not always, and it's those pieces that we want to block out, right? Um, and sometimes we don't um, know how to put them into words or exactly want to own those because those have defined us for so long or we've avoided them. And so, um, you know, I grew up um, not in Utah, but I grew up in Colorado and um, in the series of not knowing what was going on and nobody else noticing what was going on. Um, I I suffered from sexual abuse, not familiar abuse, but sexual abuse and um, growing up in a broken home. Um, definitely physical abuse and discipline abuse. Back then, discipline abuse was how, you know, how your father made sure you were in line. Um, but I had the, you know, I had a mom that was, um, definitely abusive and, and in those places, um, being in a broken home and going back and forth and, um, not knowing where I belonged was, uh, I think led to a lot of series of events in my life chasing either validation or, you know, sex was distorted for me at a young age. So I didn't really know what was wrong or right. And nobody said that was wrong because nobody knew what was going on either. Like I lost my voice. And, um, and when my dad got me back, um, I really struggled with like, I was urinating and I was mumbling from my trauma and he, as a man, and especially a military man really thought like there was a disability, not like an emotional like a physical disability, not emotional disability. And so he put me in, like, you know, he tried to teach me to be tough and he tried to put me in speech therapy and thought there was other things going on with me. And and the truth is, is I just hit it. I never really told my dad um, what was going on. And in those process, I became, I learned how to become an object. And um, once you become an object, either to men or to the views, um it becomes really normalized for you to um, have a really shattered self-esteem and that your only value is either something sexual about you or something that somebody needs to take from you or that that's all you have to give. And um, and I kept a lot of secrets. I, that's the truth. Like I learned that if nobody was going to notice me and report it, then nobody's going to believe me. And so I really honestly never was this voice like I was silenced I was definitely 
through my having a series of trauma at a young age that like voice got taken from me not because somebody like told me I couldn't tell nobody it's because like I felt like I wasn't noticed enough for somebody else to stand up for me and so in that place I never did that became normalized for me to not say anything so how old were you when this started I was about six when that started wow oh that's horrible yeah. When um, do you think you kind of like, uh, you know, as you started to um, mature through your teens, when did you start to kind of notice that that's what you were maybe seeking was that validation? Well, I, I you know, through doing a lot of healing and the work that I've done now, um, I realized like I was the perfect ingredient for a predator, right? Like I had a broken home. I didn't have structure. I already was... Um, you know, I was already chasing an addiction in my teens, and I was already really distorted with sexual interaction and stimulation. And um, I, I definitely got into um, older men would take advantage of me or abuse me, or I was attracted to older men, and I didn't understand that at a really young age. And I, and it took me a long time to, when I got older, to understand that that, because that started to happen when I was really young. Yeah. And that, um, and, and it took those pieces of my story and made sense because I was like, why am I at 12 attracted to this 30 year old? Or, and I, and I don't know if it was an attraction, but it was just that like, drawn, drawn to this, age group and I really didn't and that it like in the control right like that you know the control or um that that age group noticed me and so I wasn't being noticed anywhere else then I needed that because I was seeking some kind of attention and um and you know I shared with you when we met the first time is like my life would have changed if somebody would have asked me what happened to me instead of what was wrong with me because everybody thought I was like a juvenile delinquent the slut, you know, the the addict, the white trash, um, you know, poor, whatever those things are, and 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 I owned those almost like junky pride. Like at least I have this. Like at least I have this. Jenny, you are giving me the chills. I know. Um, when you put it that way, I mean that to hear nobody asked me what's wrong, and we're talking. You know, we talk right now so much about. Um, mental health and all of the areas that that covers and back at that time what would you say how long ago was that how many years ago god I gotta admit my age (laughs) I was like wait a minute (laughs) I'm in I'm in my mid 40s so I definitely was 20s like 26 27 years ago at that time nobody was thinking about that I mean well it really gives you the perspective of it's so true because you think of Everybody has a story, but when people are living a certain way, nobody stops to ask what is going on. Right. They just go, oh, that female or that male or that person is just a troublemaker, or they're, oh, they've got problems, but nobody's asking. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How profound. Right. And I, uh, you know, I feel like as a teen, I had a lot of red, vacant, big signs that like there was something wrong like um you know I walked into two abortion clinics when I um, ended up in this predator's hands of being later on realizing I was being like understanding 
what trafficking is. They didn't use those words when they back then. You know, they, right. You, the, you know what I mean? Like they didn't use you, you know dad's friend was trafficking. Like you know what I mean? Or the neighbor down the street or the party house that all the kids hung out. Like those weren't considered. That was like oh that's just them down there, right? Like those words weren't used back then. Like trafficking or people were afraid to say incest. Like it is not molestation when it's your family. It's incest, right? right. And um, or it, you know, back then too, like the truth is, is people would normalize it being like, well, my daughter's attracted to him. So I'm going to let him have a relationship because they're afraid to admit that their statutory rapes going on or that their kids be molested by somebody that they've allowed in their home and they don't want the ripple effect of society. Right. And, um, and so the, the family will accept that. And then these girls are raised with so much trauma being raped by this man, which is like, it's rape. Right. It's rape. It's not an incident that happened or a touch or, you know, and, you know, I, I shared this one time that uh, moms that don't believe their kids or stand up for their kids um, are just like a trafficker. You have trafficked your kid to your dad to your uncle, to your brother. And and that's exactly, you know, we're bringing more awareness to familiar trafficking is that there's a lot of generational trafficking going on out there or there's just a lot of silence because nobody wants to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. It's happening in your home or it happened at your dad's house that you took your kid to, that you dropped off every day just like a trafficker and let that happen knowing the signs when your kid came home and you continued to let him go there, right? And so, um, and... And being that voice, and so we want to be that voice for many, but like like I was saying, like I had a lot of signs where I walked into abortion clinics at 12 and 14 with just cash and, you know, bruises and choke marks and abscesses and track marks that like no doctor asked me anything about where my parent was, uh, what, you know, like just sign here and have, and you can pay cash and walking out of there different you know what I mean like um and and not knowing and knowing that you made the best choice you could in that moment but knowing that it was the wrong decision but not in the sense that I don't I'm not I'm not I'm pro-life right like I'm like I think people have autonomy with their body I think um but I think that in those situations there's places that people are aware that like what is a twelve year old getting an abortion for? Right? Like and and that's and I think that's where it led to being so silent. What led me into prison and what led me to continue to go back to trafficker abusers or older and predators. Like I was the perfect ingredient. Well, and you said, you know, walking out of a clinic and having all of those emotions of, you know, you did the right thing, but you also felt this hole. And this emptiness. And who did you turn to? You had nobody to go to and and ask for help. And and the truth is, is I think that like I don't really know if I ha- didn't have anybody to go to, but I was so silenced and unnoticed, and I carried around so many unwanted identities that like I felt like if I told somebody anyways, that why they wouldn't hear me because I just walked out of the most 
place that should be reporting, right? Any medical staff should be reporting any kind of abuse or underage or minor or... And you know what I mean? Like, that's the truth of the matter. If that person is in... um, So everybody that you could have or should have been able to count on from family to any adult to the medical people... You had nobody. Everybody turned their head. Right. Uh, wow. Can I ask a question for clarification? So you're referring to, so in your situation, um, do you believe, you had family members that knew what was happening? Now, you know what? Like, I don't really know if they just didn't know or they just, they were like growing up, like poverty, single mom, single dad. They yeah. don't have a lot of yeah. time. They're trying, you know, kids, broken home. Um, I don't really know if they just didn't pay attention, but you think that they should, right? And I like, and I never. Um, that's one thing I've learned is like, I think my parents did the best they could with what they had. Mm-hmm. I've never. Um, I used to be really angry at my mom. My mom was definitely mean, and um, and can be and was very abusive. And uh, and a long for a long time. I held this weight on her to uh, blame because I like I was avoiding doing the work. Yeah. Um, and then when I started to get older, like I realized I left there. Like you know, I didn't no longer live there. Like I know I ran away. I left. I lived on the you know I stayed on this property where I was trafficked. Um, and uh, she does. I don't get to hold her hostage to that anymore. Like, I don't get to hold her hostage to what was, wasn't, would, or could be. Um, And that um, my relationship with my mom is super important to me now. You know, she's older. um, And she she had uh, a lot of pain from my, uh, you know, my trauma, my abuse, my anger, my violent tendencies. I was very uh, manic, full of anxiety, very paranoid, and um, and I ran a lot. So she didn't know where I was, what I was doing. I mean, I my mom would call every place she could possibly think of when a woman was found dead because oh she thought it was me, you know. And and she she'll tell you too. The only thing that probably saved me was going into a correction system. But that was the only option I had was to go. Like treatment was not an option back then. Like it was the just say no <laughs> campaign was like you go to prison for twenty bucks of dope. Like no resources, nothing. Like yeah. you're you're a criminal and you are ruining society. You are uh, ruining communities. Um, and so everybody at that time either got criminal charges or prison or, you know, all of a sudden having gaining more backgrounds. And, and I ended up in that place, right? And so my mom knew where I was, right? So, um, and it, you know, I don't, I don't really share, um, me and my mom don't. What's cool is every time I share my story, I never, I call my mom and tell her I love you. And she goes, you're going to share your story again, right? And I said, yeah. And she goes, I know that you share about that time, which is hard, like, right? And But I let her know that my story is not, I don't get to hold you hostage, but I don't get to tell you that you are who I, like the problem anymore, right? Like once I left there, I started to volunteer for everything. And um and and I was no longer a victim. It's interesting her. that you that you have been able to take that 
approach because I think that, um, I mean, you and I talk about this throughout some of our episodes where we have to just embrace where we are today and we um, don't hold our parents accountable for that. They did the best they could with what they had, as you said. Um, and I and we actually, you know, in some levels say, I wouldn't be who I am today um, without some of what they, you know, mm-hmm. had brought to the table in their parenting um, or lack of parenting. So at what point would you say that um, shifted for you? Because you did have, um, and you should have, the anger, the frustration, <laughs> the resentment. Right. And so when do you think it shifted for you? Um, for me, it was probably when I got into recovery. It didn't shift in that time. I still, um, I felt like I had a lot of permission to be angry and violent. So that fueled a lot of my untreated trauma, right? Like it, um, I was using, I've had all this history. Um, I'm now a product of the system um, from going into you know, getting pregnant, I, you know, after those abortions, I ended up getting pregnant and didn't make it to the clinic on time. Right. And, um, ended up having my first child at a really young age and, um, learning how to love something that you have never been taught to love, um, was probably the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And then to learn to love something and then lose that, like probably, um, and, and 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 I say that because I'm on this, you hear me voice, but like I ended up burying her, you know, and I had her from an older man in an abusive relationship. And I, um, like learning how to love something and then it getting taken from you, you start to really get this area that like God just hates you. And that that's the reason why all this is happening. Like you start to get validated by like, you're not enough you don't matter. God's never going to show up. I, I I don't know how many times I've prayed and nothing's changed. And like, and it's so easy to use an entity like that, which is so weird, right? Like all of a sudden you just blame God. Yeah. Like God's the problem, which it's not. Like, right? Like, like and, um, and, and I definitely is when my emotions had echoes at that time. Like I, I literally should have been put in a mental health institution but I definitely ended through the shattered system that we have, especially for victim or women or domestic violence at that time that I was involved in. Um, we, I got prison, mm-hmm. and it was probably you know it became my father figure, and I couldn't get out, and I felt safer in there. Even though when I got in there, I was. I was so young and uh, I was raped by the first guard and that just became normal. And, and so like I knew how to survive in there and then I could still get my addiction fed because I just wanted to numb. And so it took me a long time to get to recovery, to start to face all this and own and become there. And I, and I almost have 15 years clean and and I got desperate to get clean from the addiction, but I forgot to get desperate to heal. And I almost killed myself at 10 years clean because I was like, oh, it's the drugs. <laughs> Where that's the thing that you think was fueling everything, but it wasn't. It was untreated trauma, 
that was, and the drugs were the win of the day to just not think about everything that you survive all day long in your head. Well, now you're, now you're clean and you have to, like you just said, you have to figure out how to deal with all that stuff. And right. What the hell are you going to do with all that? And, and you weren't just talking about a divorced family. You had a lot of shit. Right. To unpack. Right. And probably never get the answers that you needed to help you have some sense of, um, I don't know if it's closure or um, processing. Right. Probably none of that. No. And, you know, and I'm and I, I'm a big fan, and I'll say this right now. Like, I ended up in a 12-step program, and... Um, and, and I'm grateful for that because there's there there's a community and there's support and there's um, similarities and it might not be all the same but like we talked earlier when we came on that everybody has a story and and there was a moment for me where I used to be really defiant with that like nobody's walked in my shoes and you can't and and like I remember clearly one day hearing a lady's story about her kids getting yanked from her and losing her parental rights and I was like. Oh, I remember losing my kid and losing my parental rights, right? And I don't know how I'd feel if I know my kids down the street at somebody's house being raised. You know, like, like they're still obtainable, right? And mine, I, I've had to, I've, I, and I, and I used to honor, like, I used to honor my daughter with like a needle in my arm, where I felt like I had permission, right? And, uh, and when I, when I finally stepped out of that way, I really got to connect with other women and really hear, they heal like, oh man, there's people are still getting doing something to inspire their life, regardless of the diversity they had by being in that community, right? The recovery community, regardless, it was like paying their first court fine right where like they had a job which I'm like like it was huge and I started to like stop being so defiant against like everybody's gonna hurt me and really trying to find similarities so I could start being like oh I need somewhere to belong regardless if our stories don't match or maybe mine's here and yours is there but like everybody has some kind of healing journey that I need to connect with or I'm gonna end up killing myself because I feel so alone like nobody knows I, I I felt so alone and um and like I said at ten years clean the truth is is I'm talking about this now but ten years clean I almost killed myself because um I call it the smell of trauma um I was in a gas station and this man walked in and he smelled like this old car like Kmart cologne and bo and like just mechanic sweat like mechanical oil. And I didn't know what was going on, right? And I get home and I'm paralyzed. Like, I can't move. I'm in a fetal position. I'm crying. I'm having flashbacks. And I forgot, I blocked out all the sexual abuse, the trafficking, and the objectifying, and selling myself, and becoming my own trafficker, basically, because that was how I was taught that that's all my worth was. And really, and I only held on to, like, my daughter's death, going to prison or losing my freedom. Like, those things became some kind of junky pride for me. And I really blocked out the rest of this stuff. And at this time, I'm about, I, I thought I was lying about my story. When all that came up, I was like, that's not her. Right. I don't know who that is. I don't, well, rem- I don't identify with her. Like I felt so weak and vulnerable and like lost and confused. And like, 
I could, I started going back, like, I started mumbling again. It was so, and I was like, oh, I remember this time with my dad trying to put me in speech therapy. And then I'm like, oh, and I remember my dad, like, I remember, like, my first suicide attempt when my dad had to put me and pump me with stomach. And, like, and I couldn't remember why all these moments were happening, but it made sense then because now... I was walking into these homes where people were, my dad was like, I need to get you out of the way from your mom. And he saw the signs, but he just thought there was something else. And I was like, this was what's going on. Like women, for some reason, we avoid vulnerability Yep. for one. Yes. But being weak is like one of the most devastating things. Or we use that as a coping mechanism. If I'm weak and fragile and vulnerable, somebody's going to take care of me and then I don't have to face myself. And um, and I just got done doing a class that's a lot about that shame and guilt and unwanted identities. And so, like, it's kind of fresh. So it sounds like I'm talking educated. It's because I didn't know it. I'm not, I'm not a therapist. I'm not. But it was, I was grateful for that p- smell of trauma. Well, I was going to ask you because... Like, you really, without probably even realizing it, um, part, as you were telling your story, what's popping into my head was you were talking about how you had addressed the addiction and you were working through the loss of your daughter right, and being in prison. Okay, so why would you even have the capacity to be dealing with all of that together because it's so much. And so I think subconsciously our brain tells us what, gives us what we can deal with. And then the rest comes when you've somewhat maybe managed through or at least made some headway with the other pieces. Because when you're talking about grief, um, loss, that's one area that you got to focus on and that takes so much energy to work through but then you also had these all these other things so right. you were it was like the perfect storm it was you had everything mm-hmm. and so i think it's almost kind of i don't want to use the word beautiful but when you think about how your brain how, how it protected you right because you had to focus on these other areas before you could even go back Right. And that, yeah. And I, I think, and like, and I'm, that's why I said I'm grateful, but I, I, I lost my fucking mind. I'm sure. Oh, um, like, I, I, and, um, and, uh, you know, I, I went to Thailand after that to do healing and energy work, and I didn't know I was going there for that, but that's what happened, which is another, like, aha, amazing moment that, like, I met this lady that informed me of that, right? Like, um, and she was like, why are you here? What are you looking for? And I wanted to do the, like, I'm here, like, I need closure to this. And my, and she's like, that's not it. Like, you have the worst self-hatred because, like, you're in so, you've been so damaged that you feel like you're not worth living. And you're just walking, at, like, empty, right? And so we got to do some, like, shift a lot of that energy. Because I'm, like, with you, when I did the grief counseling and treatment, I... Thought I was good. 
<laughs> and I and I and I don't mean that in the weird way because I don't think you can get over grief of like loss of a child like that. But like it was finally I faced something. Like and my counselor had to, you know, like it took me so long to leave the hospital room. And like there's so many times in treat in my therapy sessions, he was like, "Let's try to get you to the door and open it," because I was so trapped in that hospital for so long. Right, I was trapped there. And I was an addict and they tried to blame me and I was like, you know, and I was just, I was so broken and I, you know, I, I was using in the bathroom. So I felt really like shame and like, you know, and I, and I, and when I, she, like when she left, I left, like I was late to her funeral because I couldn't pull a needle out of my arm. And so I just could not, like, I felt like. I just did I didn't I just didn't know who I was and so like I felt like I did so much work with my therapist being like finally getting to the elevator and making it to the lobby and walking the fuck out of that hospital and finding freedom right like learning how to miss think of her and miss her and love her instead of like anger and addiction and triggers and like 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 just not being able to see her as her right like all I saw that was the like the pain like and I wanted to get to this place where like I want to miss her like I want to miss her like I don't want to hate her like everything that comes you know what I mean or hate everything that was around at that time and and so when all this other part of my story came up I was like I was like, no wonder I was in, no wonder I was with an older man and wonder why I was accepting abuse and why I, like, I was like, oh, like, I didn't have any other choice. Like, I had no other choice. Like, that was just how my path was. And no wonder these things started to, like, make sense finally. Because I was like, how did I end up here? How the fuck did I end up in all these places and then accept it and then normalize it? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was the part that I was like, how did I get normalizing allowing men to, like, that it was normal to be raped? And it was, you know what I mean? It was like, or, you know, making 20 bucks or learning how to traffic myself, which is learning to sell myself for a need, right? And even if that need was, like, I was sharing it, like, I, enough money to get well for the day, but then have, like, quarters to put in a 24 hour laundromat. And get, because I'm, you know, 15 or 16 on the streets trying to put it by a dryer and stay warm for the rest of the night so then I can go, like, make it back out to where I'm going. Like, even if it was for that 10 bucks. Yeah. Like, I'm willing to degrade myself for a need, whatever it was at all costs. And and it was because I just was had so much untreated trauma. And the only thing that was offered to me was a correction system. That was it. And that girl needed love and compassion and, and something. Someone to ask. <laughs> yeah. Someone to ask. Right. What happened? Right. It's and really give you the space to talk. It is. And it's still happening today. It is. And that's, I mean, I, I guess I could segue in there is that, like, I think, um, obviously, a lot of people, you, you shared that I'm the founder of Soap to Hope or the executive director. It's, it's a street outreach program that meets people where they're at. And its focus is sex trafficking, sex exploitation, and high-risk sex trade. So girls that are consenting to do this, right, um, out of survival, that they are selling themselves out of survival. And I've been them, right? I've been all 
three of them, right? Like I've done the survival, I've been exploited, and I've been trafficked. And so, um, and even if it's by a familiar or a pimp or a boyfriend or whatever those things are that you have to do during the day, but we created this street outreach through other survivors and I mean like we're not the first street outreach street outreach has been going around for generations um but I think it was so stigmatized right like if you're out there you must you know but like and harm reduction was very stigmatized right like if you give somebody a clean syringe or a you know or condoms like you're condoning what they're doing like you're feeding the junkies habit and uh and thank god those barriers and that we're still breaking those but there's still mass stigma out there and um and so our outreach is a night outreach in the Salt Lake County area. And, um, and and it is based around that. Like, we're knocking, meeting you where you're at and telling you, you matter. You are not forgotten. How are you? You're asking the question. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, like, and, and having enough consistency interactions with somebody opens the door for maybe, like, a year down the road being like, hey, like, I trust you. Like, I need to tell you something. Hey, I, hey, even if it's like, hey, I have an odor down there. Like, women, like, it's amazing the things and the conversations that happen from this outreach. Like, I would have never told another woman that, much less, or even admitted that, right? Right. And how untreated all of my stuff was, not only my mental health, but my physical well-being, my, you know, not being tested. Like, I didn't know what I had when I came into recovery. I didn't know if I had HIV. I didn't know if I had MC. I didn't know if I had HPVC from just all the damage. Like, I didn't know any of that because I was so afraid to go in. Nobody noticed me anywhere in F medical, right? And and I, I think from the addiction, I thought that pretty, I just ruined the insides of me. So there wasn't, I wasn't able to have any more kids. I, I ended up having my one daughter that's 21 and she lives with me. And I forgot to mention that, but she was born chemically dependent. And, um, thank God, uh, she was raised somewhere else until I got into recovery. And then I got her, she's been with me now for the 15 years and oh, she's pretty cool too. Awesome. <laughs> she's that. sassy and she can be brutal. She Tot- like millennials and 21 year olds are no joke. I'll tell you that right now. I'm like, and being a single child with her, you know, with that stuff, like, uh, she's, and you know what, being a child being raised by a mom that's been trafficked or abused or from the streets or those things, um, they're Comes need, with stuff. Oh yeah, she's been put through some stuff. Yeah. Interrogation, no you can't go, showing up in places, arguments, fear, arrogant yelling at her, like you listen to me because this might happen to you instead of like being transparent and understanding where I'm like, like I definitely have felt in some of those conversations because of my and her being raised like she's like I'm gonna go tell somebody else what happened to me yeah because you're you know you're gonna end up going to school you're gonna go to prison and you're gonna hurt somebody because you you're counter transference and it might and it wasn't even the same stuff she just got like somebody told her she was fat and I'm like well we can't worry <laughs> now we're all going to jail and prison right? and you mess <laughs> like you know what I mean like so she. It's been the, that's been a challenging relationship to rebuild, but not because of her, because of mine. Well, you talked about that with your mom, um, and we've talked about that with our moms, what we, what we, what they brought in to parenting us, Mm -hmm. because they came with their own stuff. Right. And then what we've brought in. For sure. As we don't recognize it sometimes until. The generational. They get older. Yeah. 
But January, can you tell us a little bit more? So when you're talking about you're on the streets, oh, what? Oh no! I know. Not. Once I heard, it, I was like, oh yeah, I need to tell people I have a 21 year old, so they don't think I'm. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And we're gonna still go there, and we still want to go there. I oh, that. we could have a whole podcast about how millennials should be. Oh yeah, all put in a high school and just locked in there for like five days without <laughs> anything, so they know what it feels like. <laughs> right. We did it. We just did a whole podcast on quarantine yeah. adult children. Um, yes. that's me. Yeah. yeah, I need to listen to that one. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. No, you are no, you're good because I do want to get back to that. But I want to I want to know more specifically because you just you touched on it, right? And I think there is a lot of stigma as to what you know when you're providing condoms and you're providing needles and you're providing. I think there's still a lot of people that don't quite understand. Oh, why, absolutely. But I think there's other things you provide as well, right? So tell us more about what and and how do you get the how are you raising money to support your cause. <laughs> I could go on. I know. Uh, well, so we are really grassroots, solely ran off donations and volunteers. Um, and so, um, and, and our volunteers are all peer support. They either have, you know, a survivor of domestic violence or they've been survivor of trafficking or addiction or, you know, sexual abuse or the criminal system or so like on and on. So our peer support volunteer program is absolutely uh, a beautiful, amazing thing. So we do a, we, I created a night outreach to bridge that gap. Um, because a lot of these, I remember I was never out during the day. My trafficker wouldn't let me out during the day. My abusive, you know, boyfriend, whatever, wouldn't because then it's exposing them. Right. And so at nighttime is really where this, um, comes alive. And, um, and so, uh, and, and, you know, and people that are using and have barriers or addiction or untreated mental health are suffering from homelessness like during the day there's a lot of stigma of people driving by or they're gonna notice or your police are gonna arrest you or you're you know what I mean so most of them don't and they hide and so at night we wanted to break this gap of like hey we're meeting you where you're at we're coming into your high-risk environments we're not a storefront we're not making you walk through some office building we're not making you do some type of assessment or you know give me your social security number and all these things that we're just here offering you know harm reduction safe sex kits a basic wound care for you know picking or abscesses or wounds from being out there a lot of these people like hygienically they're you know or not have no shoes and they end up with cuts all over or just things that they don't even have money for and so we provide all these resources at all, you know, we go to probably 12 to 14 different lower end, different area hotels or communities or homeless camps or certain places that we have now built connections with of like, hey, you should go over in this area um, that are high risk drug use, right? And so um, our, you know, high risk sex trade or exploitations going on and we create this where we have resources, we community partner with other people to, and some of it sometimes is putting all those resources in the hygiene bag that you give them. So when they go somewhere, they're in their room or they're in their hotel and they're going through stuff or grab the soap, they'll see this hotline for human trafficking or the tip line or they'll have our number or they'll have, you know, Fourth Street Clinic or Martindale or any of these community clinics that like, hey, we do free testing. Hey, we do free, like if you don't have insurance, they'll come in. Or, you know, other organizations.
conversations that we want them to have too. Like it's not, we're not the answer. Like if we don't, and I feel that if you don't combat local trafficking, you're never going to combat human trafficking because they get your, they get their prey from our community, regardless if it's the girl they kidnapped down the street in the really nice neighborhood or if it's the girl that nobody, she doesn't, nobody even knows that she's gone and she's addicted on the streets for three years. They're still coming from your community. Those are still members of your community and those are still women, children, daughters, family members, moms of your community that are suffering out there alone, right? And so we try to build that connection and get them to open up. And we've, you know, and we have built connections even with the task force or certain law enforcement. And believe it or not, these women are stigmatized by law enforcement here. They call in for a rape, but they have warrants and they've been out there. They've been picked up a hundred other times and they don't believe them. And I'm like, that when is is being a victim trumps you know, any background, right? Like, this girl has been raped. How do we make her safe? We'll address these issues after. Yeah. Um, and so we're trying to break those stigma, those barriers with either even other harm reduction programs, other clinics, medical staff that in yeah. law enforcement to bring awareness in the increase of trafficking, exploitation, molestation, youth that are on the streets of Salt Lake is increased over the years. And so we stay out there probably, we're out there every day, um, basically night or follow up during the day. And some, like I said, sometimes it's like a girl that's like, I've never, I I haven't had glasses for seven years. And we take her to get her eyes oh checked and she can finally see. And it like brings that self-esteem and that trust and that consistency. Yeah. And she now, the next time we see her, like, she's like, hey, like, I really appreciate you treating us like a human and she'll start to open up and we get to hear their story and then we get to offer like hey are you wanting to stay out here like is this like is there nowhere else for you to go and like what if there was somewhere else for you to go would you take that opportunity and some will say no and some will say yes you know we this year alone we've gotten seven working with other partners and rescue teams and um community uh girls that are super young out of trafficking um and out of state into your programs and I was telling her when we first met it'd be amazing like you guys don't like understand like trafficking in Utah right like one of the girls has been trafficked by a guy that's a real estate agent that owns a lot of Airbnbs you know another one's been trafficked in a certain facility of being home like homeless and being taken advantage of or um it's you know exploitation of the boyfriend that is not you know that he needs her to supply his drugs his shelter his and or it's you know certain gangs that are trafficking women or you know a recent one was like a guy that lives right across the street from a school right and he's a normal guy that he looks like a car salesman you know that his um he exploited their vulnerabilities with their addiction and then fed him and brought him in his house and it was probably three or four of the girls and kept him around and then now you owe him and now he has your vulnerability and now um, he is bringing other men over. And if you want to stay in this house or if you want to this, then you're now, and that is trafficking and that's exploitation. And so we're trying to break those chains, but that is such on the increase here. And 
and you know child trafficking you know uh i really we there's a lot of organizations with child trafficking which is uh raw right like child trafficking is raw like that's a really emotional piece and a lot of people don't talk about it even for me i was telling her i don't know we do a lot more of the teenager out on the street outreach yeah. but the you know i've worked with law enforcement and different agencies that actually work with child trafficking in the state of utah and the stories and the things and the pictures and the stuff that they witness, I mean, I, I can't imagine what happens. But it is oh. happening in Salt Lake. And it's it is right happening. Here. Yeah, it's ha- and it's growing. Well, and I want to ask you that. So I appreciate you touching on that. Because I think it's so ugly of humanity. It's such an ugly part of humanity. And I think we hear little bits about it. We know different organizations. We, our company sponsors supports an organization as well or you are you know we've heard about them um but i think there's a blind eye people unless it affects you or you know somebody you don't want to see it because it's so hard to comprehend right and i appreciate you talking about trafficking and referencing it in so many different levels because people don't look at it that way they think trafficking i would say there's a misconception that it's a kidnapped child right taken to be trafficked but you're saying it's the guy across the street from a school who's lured them in with drugs who now is doing this you got you owe me a sexual favor right. to keep the drugs they get them addicted but there's probably other forms you've oh to yeah a few. yeah there is there's so many i mean and there's you know the low-end pimping that, that happens in you know in certain communities or high-risk gang areas or you know, or, and that's a generational almost like that, like those girls have been in there because their mom's been out there in prostitution. And sometimes it's the mom that ends up trafficking her daughter because yeah. her mom's the only one she's, that's all her mom's ever known right. was being an object and brought all that in. And this daughter now, and it's become a cycle in this home. Um, but yeah, I, we, do a lot of awareness like I'm a part of a committee in Salt Lake with the you you know that has been created for victim services for human trafficking the first one ever in the state of Utah where like a group of organizations have now got together so we can work on cases or work on resources or build resources or um, utilize referral system of like I met a I'm on the outreach part right pretty grassroots outreach trying to get them out even if it's crisis housing into you know safe housing into undisclosed areas removing them from this area and taking them out of state or you know or if it's you know working with another organization you know maybe they're getting the hotel and putting them in like resources. And so it's good that we're having that conversation now where people are more bringing awareness to trafficking, exploitation, domestic violence, you know. It's so brushed. Yeah, it's comprehensive collaboration. And we're just the ground zero of it. We're the street outreach, boots on the ground. And we do this social prevention, harm reduction model for most of these women and most of um, their abuser or predator or you know, will allow them to go meet with somebody for a supply, right? Like, I'm, I'm, like, so they're getting some type of interaction. Okay. And so these women are meeting us, even if it is for a condom or a clean syringe or, you know, a basic wound care, or maybe we have donated clothes that night. She, you know, like, there's not a, 
I'm not a police officer in a uniform trying to take down yeah. the area. Yeah. And so we get to have a lot more observation and we get to have more interaction with this population. And we get to build a lot of connections with people that never thought like high risk, high rank gang members love us, right? But they're allowing us in their area. We get to be a part of their community. And then we get to break that stigma. And then we get to change the conversations in there and bring awareness to this, even in that area. Like, hey, yeah. keep an eye on women out here. You know what I mean? Or, hey, like, have you seen this girl in a while? Like, we haven't yeah. seen her for months. And th- that community knows yeah. where she is or if they've seen her. And if they haven't, that's a huge red flag that now she might have got picked up by the traffickers. She's staying in this home or, you know, been taken somewhere else and puts alerts out there. So it's really huge to yeah. build those type of connections at Ground Zero. Cause, um, and that community takes care of each other. Yeah, I'm sure. Right, you know, it's just like your group of friends. Like you guys take care of each other. It's right. that's all they have, also. Yeah. So I I want to ask. So first step is bringing awareness to the situation, but I think removing the blindfold and going, it can happen anywhere. Oh, it absolutely. Can happen any family. How? What is the first step to protecting children, even if it's a neighbor's kid, or um, am I asking the wrong question? Like. I just think it can happen to anybody, and people right. think, oh, no, it wouldn't happen in well, my family or in my neighborhood. Or all right. Family. You know, and I don't know, first step is always being a voice and quit being the secret and the silent or, um, and, you know, if you feel like, you know, there's different people in your area or, you're, you know, your daughter's hanging out with different people or behavior's changed or, you know, or if somehow or another... Even just with, you know, teenagers or younger ones where the kids are coming home different or, like, all of a sudden, like, the mom's never home but the dad's there, right? Like, what's going on? Why all yeah, the little kids are over there? You know what I mean? Um, and and it's opposite. People need to know that there's awareness, too, that there's female traffickers. My my trafficker yes. was female, right? Really? Yeah, and that um, women can be predators, too, right? And yes. Yeah, and so... Um, I think it's, you know, we, as most of the campaign, is just be a voice. When you see stuff, and it's just like when you see a girl in distraught or she's, you know, looking uncomfortable, like you have to, like, if it means calling the cops, call the cops. Or uh, ask the question. Ask, ask the, the question. question. Because I know when I was growing up, and I'm much older than you, but uh, <laughs> we had a neighbor, and to your point of, I know he was molesting his daughter. We found out later. I was 12. His oldest daughter was 12. I know the mom knew. Right. And she let it happen. Right. We moved, and I want to say within the year after we moved, he was arrested for raping a 12-year-old girl. But we put kind of putting the pieces together after the fact. We were suspicious but didn't know. But I only know because I was – but I'm thinking that mom knew. Right. And why don't people like now? I think if I would, if I suspected a neighbor, I would not have a problem turning them right. in or doing something. But um, man, it can happen right under your nose. It you can. Just you just don't know, right? And so I don't know. I think the biggest thing is that people need to quit being silent, holding the secret, mm-hmm. the secret, and yeah. being a voice and be a voice for the people that can't, like, um, or that 
obviously nothing's changed. If that person's not removed from the home, that person, like, obviously there's no one being a voice for that child or that person. And so you have, somebody has to. Well, and, and I'm can, sure it was back in the early 70s. Mom didn't have a job. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm sure she felt like she had no resources. Okay, so if that if that is the case, if somebody, if there's a, one of our listeners out there that is suspecting something or does absolutely know what's happening, who do they reach out to? Who do they call? I mean, always, I would, I mean, like really, I mean, it's different on all specs, but there's always tip lines and hotlines where you're kind of anonymous still, but you're still releasing the information. Hey, in this area, I'm seeing this. I don't know. Um, if you don't, and I think that that's like where it's at. Like if you've reported that and you feel like nothing's changed, then you probably need to go a little bit further. Right. Or welfare, you know, child welfare. And, um, and some of those systems are shattered. Yeah. Like literally, there's, I mean, there's hundreds of untold stories out there that women are like, you know, DCFS came in my home and never left, never took me out. And there was reports of abuse and sexual abuse and my mom lied or, you know, oh, my dad or whatever. And they still had to stay there. And people are afraid to go into foster care system because this stuff happens there too. And it's been shattered in that place but I think that you gotta like you gotta continue and then find other organizations that are like hey there's trafficking or sexual assault or the you know rape crisis units being like hey like I've reported this I don't know nothing that's changed I don't know if the law enforcement's busy but like this is going on and I need to find more resources I need to find more resources for this child and I think that's I think it's not a one-stop shop like call the police and it's done right. I did my part you got and, it right you got to follow through with more. So January, I'm sitting here listening to you and my anxiety level is just like increasing every minute and I'm fighting the tears. But as you're talking about all these different scenarios, I feel so overwhelmed and like, how, how do you, how do you fix this? And how are you navigating every day wondering when you're going to have that day that you're like, okay. We made progress. We saved this woman or teen. And how how are you continuing? I mean, I know why you do the fight, but do you get hopeless? Yeah, oh, being on street outreach um, definitely is a powerless powerless deal right like you you're like it's hard out there. It's raw. The emotions have echoes. You can hear the despair. Um, the silent screams of just addiction and trauma and abuse and this like helplessness out there right and so we really like I I do feel like we're part of the solution right like we have gotten I mean we interact with about 150 people a week they're having interactions they're having resources we're connected with so many great other community partners and nonprofits in Salt Lake County not only for victims but other harm reduction and clinics and you know the change is happening is it enough probably not but like we're all in that fight and I feel like that's the win like some of that stigma is breaking and you know we've we have a lot of success with our small organization to you know like I said we've gotten seven I mean actual victims but that doesn't mean the people that we've gotten 
into testing and right. medication and healthcare barriers and insurance and case management and food and clothes or um, supplies or, you know, a crisis hotel or working with a partners about getting them into shelters those are all the wins, right? Like the girl, like the wins that somebody yeah. girl says that I I will go with you to get tested. Yeah, that's a huge. That's more of a win than her, you know. And like, and just those are the huge wins. And so, like, I feel like we're in that fight. And like I said, yeah, you're always gonna feel powerless over there, but not in the sense that like you own their what's going on out there, but like. You just see it, and so it gets raw, and it's emotional, and some of them don't want out, and some of them don't have the self-esteem to say it or have the voice, but the more you consistently meet with somebody, the more they trust you to open their mouth and say, hey, I, hey, I need that service too, or hey, can you help me here? And then, it, and it could take a year, it could take two years, but I think, yeah, it's helping navigating those resources. So I just want to say, I mean, I'm, I'm in awe of where you're at. Um, what you've done, um, I feel somewhat speechless in most of it because it's, <laughs> it's you know, it's, some of it's shocking, like you talk about, where we don't know what's really going on out there. But I, I know we need to wrap this up, and what I would love to hear from you is you've shared your story, you've talked about all of the obstacles, the trauma, the healing, and your journey. Tell us where you are today. Ah! <laughs> I don't know. I think today, um, like, I feel really independent, confident, like, um, like, I feel pretty brave and bold, right? Like, I've, I've accomplished a lot being here in recovery and healing and not only being, you know, like, I work and I founded this organization, but I get to be a voice and I get to work with other organizations, but then I get to work with other women and I have, like, my support and travel and always learning, you know, like I try to remain teachable and reachable all the time and just like learning to like love unconditionally and not have all these restrictions or this armored heart around me that I need to protect constantly. You know, I'm still very manic. I still have, you know, trauma. I still have nightmares, but like none of those are paralyzing anymore. They're just like... Like, hey, like I, you know, I get to process those now and I I get to be this voice not only for myself, but I advocate for myself all the time when it's like, hey, I need a time out. Hey, I need, I need to stay home away from everybody or hey, I need to take off for a while or I need to go hike or if I want to go paddleboard or, you know, I play a lot of sports and so... I get to have that freedom from choice now by staying here in this healing journey, you know, and and be successful in that. Like, I never thought, you know, like, I was a convict. I spent most of my life in prison or on the streets in addiction, and, like, I'm, you know, am able to, you know, do panels with law enforcement and be working with other organizations. Um, I don't have much of a co- – I don't have a college degree. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like I've – I've created my own type of red carpet and I'm walking it. <laughs> you oh, know what I mean? Like, it's not, you know, like, and I get to have, like, and I get to have those defining moments that are, like, powerful for me. Like, that other, you know, like, I like I share all the time, like, I'm this crazy manic, fully tattooed, like, you know, off the wall, like, criminal that, like, but I'm being asked to speak at, like, human trafficking panels and law enforcement or, you know, even here that, like, 
or breaking that stigma of who I was and what people looked at me now and that they see me as somebody like inspiring and, you know, brave or that I have some type of value to help somebody else. And so, well, I have to say that I'm walking away from this a different person and so inspired. You are beautiful inside and out. And I just feel lucky that I was introduced to you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much. And um, well, you definitely are. You give. You're going to give a lot of people hope. (laughs) um, And you are definitely inspiring. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Where can people find you, and how can we support you? Real quick. So our website's soaptohopeut.com, and then we have a Facebook page that's Soap to Hope that you. And then we, I, just you can contact us on those websites and. And obviously, you guys will have our information. So if they want to get a hold of you, you can personally send them my email or phone number. Yes, we are definitely going to promote it. And we want to support you as well. So um, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think someone could benefit, please share. If there's a conversation you think we should be having or a topic that resonated with you, please let us know. You can engage and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pieces of a Woman Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. If you listen to us on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a comment. 